0: And,
1: well, before we talk about healing, even though that's what we said we were going to do tonight, um, I just want to kind of follow up on what happened this morning. I think most people here would have been there. And uh, <clears throat> I made mention of the fact that the Australian Prophetic Council had gathered this week and I said, you know, very different stream from what this is. Of course, now my phone is blacked out. Maybe I won't be following up. All right, forget it. Um, But, uh, you know, this morning was kind of extraordinary what happened at the end of the service, the Spirit moving. Um, If you were sitting in the crowd, you may or may not have seen the Spirit of God falling on people while I was speaking, but... You know some were vibrating some were attempting to stay in their chairs but kind of holding on to the sides as they tried to prevent sliding out um, others the Spirit of God was falling on them with um, weeping and tears and whatever so it was you know it was rather extraordinary because there was an engagement with this word about the importance of the prophetic so we went back to uh, Kirk and Nicole's house and we were having lunch And um, so Easy Gersini is a widely recognized prophetic voice in Australia. And she posted this afternoon and said, how very beautiful is the atmosphere of unity at the prophetic summit in Brisbane. And she named a bunch of people that were there. We had the most heavenly time of hearing the roar of hope over this great Southland of the Holy Spirit. I do not know of a time in this nation when I have sensed more faith and love in one room. Hallelujah. There's never been a day like this before. Now what was interesting was because of the way the Lord moved in the room here this morning, before I even had seen that post, Kirk and I were talking and I said, you know, this was, this was really quite extraordinary. And just about then I got a message from um, somebody who has traveled with me in the past and whose church I've visited in Newcastle. So I don't know exactly how far down the coast that is, but it's a few hours south of here. And she was saying, yeah, the, uh, the, it really went off in our church this morning. And I said, oh, tell me about that. So, you know, well, you know, I got up and started sharing, and the Holy Spirit started falling in the room. And, you know, people were sort of electrified, and she said, whatever it was that I was carrying, now she had been also at this prophetic summit but she'd gone for three days I only went for one Uh, something was released into the room and the whole place got smashed and I thought "Mm, that's interesting so then I sent about I don't know 25 text messages all over Australia to different churches that I relate with in one way or another and just to be clear these are not all vineyard churches a couple of them were but but many of them are non vineyards and they come from every stream under the sun. They come from Anglican. They come from, you know, Baptists. They come from Foursquare. Uh, indip- is that an alarm or something? What is that? Oh. All right. Anyway, they come from sort of every stream under the sun. And <clears throat> a rather definable pattern emerged. I don't know if you remember, but when I was speaking this morning, I said, from far north Queensland, south to Victoria, the Lord's about to move, and then, you know, it'll roll across the Red Plains and central Australia through the northern territory and crash into the west. Well, interestingly enough, as I was getting reports back from all across the country, um, churches in the west were saying, yeah, we had a good morning. Things, thing, you know, it was really wonderful. The Lord was here, and you know, we celebrated the presence, but it wasn't like it went off. And South Australia, same kind of reports. Yeah, it was good. God was here, but it didn't go off. But from way up in like Cooktown, so like way far north Queensland, almost all the way to the tip, and then all the way coming down the entire east coast of Australia, if you just go through the cities one by one, As you head south down out of here, you know, going down through Byron Bay and down through Newcastle, Sydney, you know, down through Canberra, Bega, boom, boom, boom. Every single place, they said, oh, we had an amazing morning. The power of God blew the church apart. He just ripped the place to pieces, and the voice of prophecy was losing. Depending on who you were talking to, what they were saying wasn't all exactly identical, but it was pretty clear. God visited the east coast of Australia this morning. It was it was a general visitation. And this is something that I've been preaching on for a couple of years now. I don't preach it everywhere, and I don't, I don't do the same message every place, but I really believe that we have a role in, and actually God has given us the ability to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in such a way that we catalyze regional outpourings. I have a message back there with that title, Catalyzing Regional Outpourings. And I actually think that some combination of you know, whatever we were doing here, whatever the Australian Prophetic Summit was doing, whatever, anybody who's attempting to hear and, you know, synchronize with God to to walk with the Lord in this season, I think there is a visitation, a general visitation on this country, and I think it's something happened this morning. I mean, you can localize it and be that very specific about it because it was across denominations, it was across churches, and like I say, some people in the south and the west were reporting things, but in particular, eastern Australia, all the way up and down the coast, got hit by the Holy Spirit. So to me, that's incredibly exciting to have been part of all that. And, you know, we just want to stay with the wave and ride it. So anyway, um, and so with that in mind, I want to ask David Delaney to come up. It has nothing to do with healing, but they went down to the coffee club And they took some overflow out of this place with them down to the coffee club. Oh good, there is a microphone, okay. And uh, so he's gonna share about what happened just down the street while I take a drink of water.
0: Um, Well, this was an accidental event. Um, There was uh, Brian, um, who was visiting from Perth. And uh, he, uh, Brian Rolf, who was staying with us, was here for the weekend. And he and uh, Wendy, Um, and we're down the front here and the Lord was making life somewhat challenging for them to get out of the seat and uh, uh, Carol said to me why don't you take them uh, for uh, something to eat and a cup of coffee I said well that could be challenging but I'll give it a go anyway uh, Wendy said I can drive I can drive, I can drive so she got into her car and she drove and I had Brian in my car and he was doing this all in the front seat and we got to the coffee club, and as we pulled up, there was another car with Sylvia, Meteor Girl here, and uh, that's a new name for her since this morning, and, um, and, uh, and, and Roxanne. And so I said, you guys want to join us? And they're going, oh, okay. So Meteor Girl comes across the car park. So I went into the coffee club, and I said, excuse me, there's going to be five people sitting outside who have just been to church We've prayed and God is touching them and there's all sorts of funny stuff happening. Are you okay with that? And the girl went, yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh." So I knew them. They kind of knew us. So we sat outside and, and it was like church happening again. There was all sorts of fun and stuff going on. And we were there for two hours and bouncing and bobbing and talking about God. And when it was time to pay the bill, we all went inside and... They looked at us kind of strangely because we're <laughs> wanting to pay the bill. And uh, Nic- Nicole is uh, one of the... Like, the manager lady down there. And uh, I said, Nick, we're here to pay the bill. <laughs> and she's, she looked at me and I said, it's OK, we're, we really are OK, love. You know, we're still... It's just God. And then... So we, we managed to pay the bill. And the other staff were standing around watching because the place had pretty much emptied out by this. And then Sylvia said i just got to hug you. I've just got to hug you. Sylvia, meaning medial lady here. And so she's leaning across and, and Nicole said, I'll come around. I'll come around the outside for a hug when I've taken the money. So she came around and Sylvia gave her this big hug and she's like, oh, this is lovely. And then Sylvia said, are you married? And she said, no. She said, well, I'm going to pray for a really nice man for you. <laughs> and so she's said, oh, yes, please, yes, please. And so Sylvia prays for her and she gets the big hugs and so we then all lined up for big hugs. Everyone wanted to hug everybody and we're all hugging and shaking and carrying on. And um, by the time we left the coffee club, one of the young guys there, when Sylvia finished, he called out, Amen! I was like, Yes! More! So that was the overflow of this morning. We left at 3.30 from the coffee club and thankfully... Scott had texted me during that time and say, "I'll take Brian to the airport for you, so you can be here." And I did appreciate that. So um, I, I just want to say to you that it was interesting that the power of God was very evident on people, and the people were not scared. They were kind of like inquisitive. Didn't what didn't. Mean Hmm? What meaneth this? Yes, it was like, well, but when they saw that we were really full of joy and laughter and, and the staff that came out to service were also, like, um, touched by what was happening and a couple of them really carried on like that, um, laughed a lot. One other was a little sort of stand backish, but she was okay after a couple of visits. So it was just a really special time of this touch of the Lord just being deposited out and around so I just want to encourage all of us to be a little bolder perhaps and just be free to be who we are as the Lord is on us and and let and let the kingdom come I don't <laughs> you need got that. one you got one <laughs> so yeah I mean those guys there they, they just keep bopping around
1: can't take you anywhere <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's it's just a very interesting time and and you know, I, I'm, I'm here for a couple more days, and then I'm heading south down to Canberra. But um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this morning's regional visitation of the Holy Spirit across the east coast of Australia. And I guess, you know, there's no telling, but time, time will certainly show us. But it, it seems to me that the Lord's on the move, and something has begun. Whoop, here comes the 7-Eleven to Toronto. <laughs> All right. Well, let's shift gears. and uh, Well, before I do that, any questions on what I'm saying or talking about it? I want to make sure it was at least understood. All right, good. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about healing. I just want to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because whether you know it or not, the Lord's Prayer is a kingdom prayer. Now, most of us know the Lord's Prayer. But we learned it in Sunday school years ago uh, out of Matthew chapter 6, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That's the one we all know. But there's another, there's another place where the Lord's Prayer is taught. And it's only slightly different, but it's different enough. And you know, one of the things is when we see those minor variations in Scripture, there's truth there. That if you mine the, the nuggets a little bit, you can pull something out that you might have missed. So in Luke chapter 11, we find the Lord's Prayer in a different form from the one I just recited mechanically, which is the way most people recite the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, Luke 11:1, And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his... Well, this translation says impudence. Some would say persistence. Uh, Some would say importunity if you're reading a King James Bible. But it's that that sense of persistence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Now, it's interesting how Luke sets this story up. He says... Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, when he says it's a certain place, what he's saying is this was a familiar place. It was a place that was frequented by Jesus. It was known to them. They'd seen him go to wherever that place was before, and he goes to pray. And, you know, any good Jew would have known how to pray. Prayer was part of Jewish life. But there was something about Jesus' praying. He finishes his time of prayer, and one of the disciples, one of those who's following one of those who's committed to the lifestyle of the king, says to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now that's an interesting one to me. Because really what's happening in that is this disciple is politely but in so many words saying, Hey, Jesus, you're not doing your job as our rabbi. John taught his guys to pray, but you haven't taught us to pray. He gave them the goods. He told them everything he knew so that they could do whatever it was they were doing in conjunction with him, but you've not yet given us the goods. And what's even more interesting is that this is happening in the aftermath of Luke 9 and 10, because this is Luke 11. Now, in Luke 9, Jesus had sent out the 12 as apostles to go ahead of him and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And they had done it, and they had had effect in their ministry. It says this in 9.1, He called the twelve together and He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That was their commission. And He said to them, take nothing for your journey and you know, operate in this way. Verse 6, And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they did it. And then verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So what happens is Jesus gives them, if you want to say it this way, some portion of his authority. He, he imparts something to them. That's why he gave them power and authority in order to effect this outcome. And then in the aftermath of that, three of them go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he foretells his death, and... Um, and then it says, verse chapter 10, verse 1, After this, after all of these events, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. This is one of the few things that Jesus commanded us to pray for, is for laborers to be sent into the harvest and it you know you don't have to be doing ministry for very long of whatever sort of ministry you do i don't care if it's worship ministry or prophetic ministry or you know traveling ministry or you know you're an evangelist or an apostle or whatever you are you don't have to be doing it for very long and you realize there just aren't enough people to do this there's always more work to do than there are laborers and so that becomes the instruction that he gives them to pray but of course the very people who pray that prayer are the ones who get tapped on the shoulder and sent out. So by the time he sent the 72, we now have 12 apostles plus 72 others. We've got 84 people that are doing this, and at least the 72 are operating in pairs. It's less clear that the 12 did that. It's widely assumed they did that, but the 72 did. So if we assume that the 72 are operating that way, that's 36 teams that are going out kind of ahead of him into every town and village where he would go. They're the advance guard, but like the 12, they've been commissioned to heal and they've been commissioned to drive out demons and so in 1017 it says the seventy-two returned with joy saying Lord even the demons are subject to us in their in your name And he said to them I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven now the the Greeks a little more vivid than that I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven you remember one of the words we had this morning was about actually two of the words were about meteors falling (laughs) and then fire kind of exploding out of that. And Rebecca had a word about lightning touching down. So I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. And nevertheless, even though this is true, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, many have written about this and because they're somehow touched by a religious spirit, they say, well, you see, we shouldn't be rejoicing in deliverance. We should be rejoicing in salvation. That totally misses the point of the passage. The passage, is what it's saying is that you couldn't do what you're doing but for the fact that your names are written in heaven because all of this is based on the authority that flows out of being one of my chosen and so it's not that we shouldn't rejoice that the demons are subject of course we should rejoice but it's rather the real impetus of that is that your names are written in heaven so just don't put the cart before the horse is really what jesus is saying so this has all happened we've got twelve sent out we've got seventy two sent out and now jesus goes to pray and his disciples come to him and they say well you know master it's great that you've sent us out there's eighty four of us now that are commissioned to do this and yet, there's something missing here. As good as it is, there's something more. And we want to know what that is because John the Baptist had given everything to his guys and we're your guys and what's up with that, Lord? Why, how come you haven't taught us to pray? And he says, all right, game on. I'll teach you how I pray. This is how I pray. I pray this way and you should too. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, this word hallowed is an old-fashioned term and No one uses it anymore. The only reason it's even in our Bibles is because we've grown so accustomed to saying it that people will reject a translation of the Bible if it doesn't read that way because that's what their minds and their tongues are trained to say when they say the Lord's Prayer. But I can't remember the last time in common speech I heard anybody say Hallowed. So what in the world is Hallowed? Well, hallow comes from an old English term that has to do with making something holy. It has to do with making something consecrated or special and setting it aside for special use. And so what he's saying is, set the name of God aside specially. And when you pray and you call him Father, reserve that only for him because there is no other being in the universe with whom you will relate that you will call him Father. He had said elsewhere, call no man your father. Of course, people do this all the time. Nowadays, everybody's spiritual father this and papa that. And, you know, I, I'm, not sure that that, I'm not sure that that is right on the mark in terms of the way the Lord would have us be using that term Father. And, of course, the Catholic Church for years, centuries, has called priests Father. But Jesus is saying, when you pray, say Father, because you have a relationship with Him with, that's like my relationship. I call Him Father, you all sort of call Him Father, but be careful lest you call anyone else by that name. This is a special relationship and carry it with you because as you, as you name him as father, you bear the presence of his name because he has set his name upon you, calling you his sons and daughters. That's really all wrapped up in that language. And by hallowing it, he's saying don't misuse the name, either by being careless with it or, as I've already suggested, by calling anyone else your father because you have only one father who is a father like this. That is your father who is in heaven. And he says, when you pray, orient your mind, orient your emotions, orient your thoughts, orient everything that is about you, directed at Him who is your Father. Start out getting aligned. Start out getting in touch with. That's where it all begins. Connect with Him is maybe the way we would say it in modern speech. And once you have connected with Him, then pray this simple prayer, may your kingdom come. This is why the Lord's Prayer is a kingdom prayer. Now, again, if you understand that kingdom means get saved, go to heaven, and I kind of touched on that briefly this morning, you will miss the point of this prayer, but if you understand that when we say your kingdom come, what we are really asking for is the in-breaking of the kingdom of God, for the unleashing of the dynamic power of God, you now understand that the very purpose that we go to God in prayer for, that's pretty awkward English, but anyway, the very purpose that we are driving into is that there would be a further and greater release of the kingdom reality that's why we do this so you've connected to God your father and he is the king and as you are connected with him you're saying as a son or a daughter may the kingdom increase may all the lands round about think of an old English you know manor baron or an earl or a duke or something may all of these lands come under the sway and the dominion of of this one whom we name as the king and pray that it doesn't happen just in distant cities and lands. It's all well and good to hear about that, but pray that the kingdom would come. Pray that the kingdom would follow you into the... Where'd he go? There he goes, right there. Into the coffee club. That's about to point to David. (laughs) The kingdom's walking away. (laughs) Here, Wendy was in the coffee club. I'll point to Wendy. But pray that the kingdom would follow you around. Pray that you become a zone of the Holy Spirit. I think this is what Scott was talking about with or was it you or Neil, one of the two of you, was talking about Finney saying you know this is the zone right here at arm's length. Pray that that would happen. Because up until this time all of these disciples they've already been healing the sick. They've already been driving out demons and Jesus is about to give them the key to greater release of the kingdom of God. Now I talked this morning about the P of the prophetic and I did not talk about the P of prayer partly because you know preachers kinda it's it's an editors job you kinda manage the material to a specific thing you're trying to say but we should not neglect this P of prayer it's that important and so he's saying this king who rules the kingdom is your father as you sit at table with him at arm's length as he as he passes you the peas or the salad or the you know whatever the main course is, as he passes you the bowl of food as you're at table with him, ask him at the same moment in that closeness, in that intimacy of family, oh, and by the way, would you extend the kingdom as we do what we do? Now, the, the prayers that we pray on the back end of the first and most important prayer for kingdom release, kingdom breakout, is number one, give us our daily bread we're to pray for daily sustenance because well number one because he said he will already give it to you jesus said that in matthew chapter six And <clears throat> you know if you understand that you are in partnership with god as a son or a daughter as his family business if you understand that then you understand that you know this is a well-provisioned business it's a well-oiled business the, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I know that for many, you know, there, there have been times when finding that place of provision, it just seems like there isn't enough. But the, the clear teaching of Scripture is that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so if provision is a problem, something is wrong. Something's out of kilter. And if we get that thing out back into kilter we get it aligned with the way it's supposed to be there should be adequate provision and so because we are partners with God in business this is a bit like what business partners do they take a draw now this isn't the real money this is just table stakes right business partners take a draw they take whatever they take and you know if it's a big business if it's a well-run partnership well what they make as a draw many of us would consider an incredible wage but the whole point of the draw that a business partner takes is that the lights stay on, there's gas in the tank, the car if it's financed, is, you know, the payment is made, the house is paid for, the mortgage payment is made, et cetera, all of these basic things are taken care of. But the real money, the real upside comes with the increase of the business. And so Jesus says, pray for your daily bread, pray for the draw to be provided Not that that's where the real increase comes, though, because the increase will come as the kingdom expands. There is adequate provision, and more than that, there is shalom, there is abundance, there is the outpouring. This is what you are meant to live in. Now, this is a little different from the prosperity gospel. I don't really teach prosperity gospel, but I do believe God wants us to prosper, and I do think there is a place of abundance in God where he provides for us beyond merely the draw that we need to live because God blessed Abraham because God blessed Isaac because the scriptures particularly in Proverbs are replete with teaching about how God wants to make you abound. Kurt put up on the the screen here this morning just before we took the offering these are some of the benefits that come yeah that right there so much reap much well how are you gonna reap much by sowing much why would you reap much because God wants you to reap much that's the normal course and then God loves cheerful givers. Well, okay, that's true, but that doesn't quite illustrate the point. You will have all you need. There's the draw, and you will have plenty to share. There will be surplus and bonus besides. This is the way of the kingdom. This is how we should be living. And I understand there are times when, you know, if you're living in a war zone, if you're in Syria right now, probably going to be tough to have, you know, that super abundance. But you might be surprised at the miraculous provision that happens in the midst of it all. And when the war is over, God wants to immediately revert to status quo ante and begin rebuilding that, that prosperity lifestyle. Does that make sense to everyone without sounding like I'm a prosperity preacher? Okay, so that's how we pray. Pray, give us our daily bread. And by the way, don't just forgive us, or give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us in any way. Why? Well, we seek forgiveness both because we need it for our own transgressions and sins because we all know we're fallen creatures. We've made mistakes and in various ways, sometimes not even known to us, we've transgressed God's ways. And when we do that, that, that disrupts the flow of kingdom life through us. We need forgiveness so that we can be vessels of kingdom life and, and, and inherit all that we were meant to inherit but also because if we don't have forgiveness, we are bound. So the forgiveness that we seek is more than cognitive and more than forensic. Now, I'm using those terms on purpose. I know they're big terms, but you know, there's, there's a whole school of thought out there that you know when we forgive, it is, it is something that we do rationally as an act of our will. We, we choose to forgive, and that is correct. We do. We choose to extend forgiveness to people who have wronged us even sometimes when they have not yet asked for forgiveness, for no reason other than we are commanded to forgive. We are to be a forgiving people. That's cognitive. And then there is this other side, forensic. There's been lots of teaching, particularly in evangelical churches, about the forensic for release, the forensic forgiveness of God, which you know basically we are forgiven because Jesus died on our behalf and we just accept that truth. And that also has a cognitive component. It has an act of will. I choose to accept what Jesus did for me. But there's another component that people don't often talk about, and that is the experiential component. Now, most Christians are excellent self-deceivers. And what I mean by that is most Christians can say, oh, yes, I'm forgiven because the Bible says I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because I know Jesus died in my place. And that's all true. However, what we really need is that experience of breakthrough where the forgiveness of God comes into our emotions. And as we experience God in our emotions, we realize, I am, in fact, well and truly forgiven. All that I was and all that I am, that's that's been dealt with, and we feel in ourselves the release. We are, I used the term when I was teaching... seminar, we are shriven. There is something that falls off of us and we realize, I actually live in the forgiveness of God. And it's not merely cognitive. It is absolutely cognitive. It is not merely forensic. It is absolutely forensic, but it is experiential. And people like that can readily give forgiveness away because they realize all that they have been forgiven. That's what we're really talking about, and that's why Jesus says, pray that you would be forgiven your sins. He is saying, pray to have a, I'm going to use a 1970s term, an existential encounter. You're going to have a gestalt experience with the forgiveness of God so that it moves beyond what you know to be true or what you will to do because it's right so that it becomes part of who you are. And so a lot of Christians stop short of experiencing forgiveness and they settle for acknowledging it and consequently it remains a theoretical rather than a lived out and a living reality in their lives. And you know, I fear that in many churches this is kind of the way it goes. I could name names of various churches and movements, but I'm not really here to take shots at anybody and it would probably sound as though that's what I was doing, so I'll refrain. But I'll just say that in many churches... This stuff of forgiveness, it's preached all the time, and yet you have people that are there and they're bottled up. Yep, I'm forgiven, praise the Lord. And you're like, that has no, there's no cred in that at all. But when you meet people that have been forgiven, there's, there's, a, there's an experience that you have of who they are too. Something has changed inside of them. And in that, they release something to others. So what Jesus is saying is until you live in that that realm of forgiveness, somehow kingdom reality will be bottled up in you. Because this is a kingdom prayer. Father, your name is different from every other name. I relate to you as a father, and so may your kingdom come, and may I be forgiven of sin in order that I may be a vessel of that kingdom coming. That's kind of a paraphrase of it. And then he goes on, he says, Oh, and also we forgive those, everyone who was indebted to us. We forgive all of those who owe us money. We forgive all of, us who owe, all of those who owe us an apology. We forgive all of those who have wronged us, who have never come to us to ask for forgiveness. We let them off the hook. We stop having them need to pay the bill for all their transgressions and sin. It's not that what they did was okay. It's not. It's just that what we're doing is we're relinquishing them into the hands of God and saying, Lord, you deal with it. It says it this way in the book of Romans, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. It's saying, God, I know you'll settle the accounts, and I know you'll do this way better than I could, and I'm just going to take it on faith that you will do a better job with this than I could, and I want to get on with life. I don't want to be stuck here any longer. And so that is why we release. And so the forgiveness we seek, too, in, in this passage the forgiveness we seek this forgiveness we seek to experience ourselves is itself tied to releasing others who owe us something because without one the other stops flowing and that's a bad place to be in fact it's one of the primary ways that we get bottled up in terms of the life of God the joy of God the experience of the spirit those overflowing rivers that gush out of us that Jesus spoke of in John 4 And so he finishes out this part of the prayer and lead us not into temptation. What temptation? Well, let's say it this way. Please keep us from the error of falling back into unforgiveness because the temptation to do so would be very great because that's who we are because we're made of flesh and we want in the end to turn back and always get in that last word, always be right, always take the final shot, always make the last comment. And in so doing, we suddenly shut down the forgiveness that we're releasing and as we shut down the forgiveness we're releasing we shut down the forgiveness we're receiving there is a there's a flow in all of this and there it is that's the that's the lord's prayer all good but see here's the thing matthew doesn't give us more commentary luke does and so what happens next is Most of us would say the teaching is over. That's what I need to go home and think about. I need to pray for the coming of the kingdom. I need to forgive and receive forgiveness. And I need to pray that I don't fall back into unforgiveness. Got it. But in fact, there's more to it. Because most of us would consider the teaching over. But like a good rabbi, Jesus now launches into what the Jews called Midrash. This is the rabbi's own commentary on the teaching that he just gave. He launches into Midrash on his own sermon. He's now taught them what to pray, but now he's about to teach them the internal dynamics of prayer, the spiritual dynamics of prayer. It's one thing to say these words. It's it's another thing to say them so that you mean them, but it's another thing to activate the reality of them so that something comes through that is beyond what you had experienced. And so he tells them the story of a persistent man, one who is rebuffed by his friend. And so he says to them, Now, men, I've just told you this bit about prayer. Let me explain this to you. Which of you has a friend? You go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey I have nothing to set before him. And this is inconvenient for your friend, so he answers from inside of his locked house. Don't bother me. The door is now shut. The children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. If I do, I'll wake them up, and then the rest of the night will be ruined. I really don't want to get out of bed. Some friend. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, it seems pretty clear from the English, but it's even clearer in Greek, and we could miss it in the English. So it helps to unpack this a bit. You've got this man, he's in a house, and this guy comes, and he's, Hey, my friend has come, and I need some bread. The the stores are all closed. Could you give me some food? No, go away. We're all in bed here. Open up. I really need the food. My guests have come. I need to show them hospitality. Can you give me some bread? No, go away. Please, open the door. Now eventually, I don't know how many times this goes on, the man gets up and goes and opens the door. And what Jesus says there is ask, seek, knock, but he doesn't just say, you know, ask, and you know, this actually, it's very interesting, is diametrically opposed to the teaching of what the faith movement taught in the 1970s and 80s, because they said, pray once, consider it done. And what the Greek here is saying, and it's very clear in the Greek, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, get a battering ram, (laughs) And what's this doing? This, what's all this doing? Remember, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, but this is in the aftermath of Luke 9 and Luke 10. What these guys are saying is, yeah, Lord, it was great what we did, but how do we go deeper? Isn't that what you said? How do we get to that place of breakthrough? How do we find that zone of dominion and abiding? Where is that? It's in that importunity. It's in the asking continually, seeking and knocking until the door opens. And then when the door opens, something changes. And this is what I've seen in my travels. You know, there's a lot of weird and sick diseases out there, no pun intended. They're twisted. They're invented in hell. Literally, they are invented in hell. Things like cancer and ALS and motor neuron disease and things like this, a lot of the food allergies and muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis. And what I've found is, you know, for many of us, we run up against these diseases and we're like, oh God, what am I going to do? <laughs> and we pray, but there's something in it that the, the prayers sort of dribble down our chin. And they, and they do just sort of on the ground. And that is because we've lost sight of the fact that when you pray pray this way father I come with a petition it needs to be settled father there's a confidence in that you can't work that confidence up but you can if you understand that it's at least available you can shoot for it many people don't even know it's available and consequently they don't have any confidence in trying to move into it Does that make sense As the old saying goes, if you don't know what you're aiming at, you'll never hit it. That's really what we're talking about. What I've seen is with these hard diseases, I'm not trying to be cute about this, but what I've seen is if you can get N equals 1, if you can get the first case, then N equals 2 through 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, Those are the easy ones. Once you've breached the line, once you've gone through in that area, you've found that place of dominion and breakthrough, the next whatever many versions of that same disease, that becomes a relatively straightforward process for healing. Most of us don't know that because we haven't found that place of breakthrough. And Jesus is saying it comes in the importunity to ask and keep on asking and then you will have what you need. Now, I, I, you know, the first time I ran into this, I, the Lord had been speaking to me about this passage, and had been kind of, you know, showing me this principle that I'm giving you. And I went down to Tasmania, and we went and visited a drug rehab center, and it wasn't a very big service. As I recall, there might have been, I don't know, eight people or something that that were in the rehab that night. Might not even been eight, but anyway, we had a small team. We went out and we. You know, we did the service, and the Lord had been talking to me about this, and then we said, okay, we'll pray for anybody. Well, as you might expect, everybody wanted prayer for their drug use. But, you know, they all had other stuff as well. And so this man comes up to me, and his arm is hanging like this, and it's, it's limp. Now, it wasn't cold. It, it had normal body temperature, but it's just hanging limp. And so he comes up, and he shakes my hand with his left hand, and he says, how do you do? I said, oh, yeah, fine. So, you know, we start talking. And as we, as we begin interacting, I said, what do you want prayer for? Well, my arm, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's no good. I said, well, what happened to it? He said, well, 25 years ago. Now, this would be, I guess, maybe this was three years ago that this happened. So we'll say 28 years ago now. But at the time, 25 years ago, he said, I was harvesting broccoli. And I had a broccoli knife. Now, what do I know about broccoli harvesting? But a broccoli knife has a blade, has a handle, and has a blade that's shaped like this. And what they do is they reach out and they cut the broccoli off with the stalk, and then you wear a bag. Kind of like a large you know whatever postman's bag and you throw the broccoli in there and then you you know cut more and cut more and you cut more and when the bag fills up you go and empty it on the truck and then you go back out and do more so this guy's been harvesting broccoli and as he's harvesting broccoli you get into a rhythm as you might expect and as he's harvesting he slips and he cuts his own arm and he severed all the nerves up here and from that day forward his arm had been limp and dead Now, the blood was still circulating, so it was still warm, like I said, but he had no use of his hand at all. It just hung there all the time. So I'm thinking about this passage, and I don't know why, but at the moment I said, I'm going to pray for this guy 20 times if I need to. Now, there's nothing magical about 20. It was just the number that was in my head. Um, Could have been God, might not have been God. I don't know, but what I knew was I was going to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And I think all of us understand human physiology well enough to know that severed nerves after 25 years, you're done and dusted, right? So we pray, and we prayed the first time and nothing happened. And we prayed the second time and nothing happened. And the third time nothing happened. And each of these prayers was, I don't know, 30 seconds a minute long. But nothing's happening. And so at that point he goes, all right, mate, well, thanks. And I said, oh, no, we're not done. And he kind of looks at me weird. I said, yeah, we've got to keep going with this thing. I didn't tell him I had 20 in mind. Because we're only at three, right? And he's ready to call it quits. Which, what does that tell you right there? Oftentimes people are ready to quit too soon. Right? He's been, Of course he's discouraged. It's been 25 years of this. I don't know who he's asked for prayer. I don't even know how much he's prayed. I don't know how he's prayed. I don't know anything about any of that. But after 25 years, you know, you're pretty well sure not much is going to happen. So... He kind of humors me and lets me go again. Four times we pray. Five, six, seven, nothing's happening. He goes, mate, thanks. And he, he's trying to back away. I'm like, no, no, I want to pray some more. And you know, he gives me one of those looks like, how do I get away from this guy? Right? He's one of those people. So we, we, I, I talk him into letting me pray some more. Eight times we pray, nothing is happening. Nine times, nothing is happening. Ten times we pray, and then he goes, wait, I'm feeling something. Oh, what are you feeling? I'm feeling a little bit of tingling right here on the back of my hand. And I'm thinking, now this is the equivalent of a cloud the size of a man's hand, like Elijah with his servant on the top of the mountain. And I'm, oh, okay. And I, at that point, I'd seen just enough people healed of paralysis and crippling conditions that I know nearly all the time when people get healed of that, there will start out to be, in whatever limb it is that we're dealing with, or limbs if it's more than one, There will be some tingling, like like if you've slept on your arm funny or your foot funny and, you know, you wake up and it's, well, if it's your foot, sometimes you kind of stumble across the floor and crash down because you don't have any feeling at all. But it's that kind of numb feeling that they have. I've learned that that's really commonplace. So he's having that, and I'm like, okay. So we pray 11 times, and at 11 times... He, he does like this now he doesn't have full mobility but he can do this and he hasn't done this in 25 years 12 times we pray and he's swinging his arm around like this and he's raising his arm over his head and on the 13th time he starts moving his fingers ask seek knock ask and keep asking seek keep seeking Knock, keep knocking so I said well I want to know how that is shake my hand so he you know, puts his right hand into my right hand and it's, he gives me a crushing handshake. Not, not merely a little bit of a, you know, I'm, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Okay, so his strength has returned. But the funny thing is, when he holds up his hand, he can do this. Now, I can do this. But he can only do this because this pinky finger, he can move it manually, but he can't, on his own will, make it come in. And so we're stuck with that stupid pinky finger. I don't know what you're going to call this, 90% healed? Ninety five percent, ninety-seven, I don't know, but his strength is back. He's got total mobility, he can use his hand, but you know, he's like drinking the Queen's tea. So <laughs> it's okay to laugh aloud, Monica. I appreciate it. So <laughs> so we you know we've we've gone to that place. Well we go through 14, 15, we get up to twenty. He's fine now, but this is still not quite in sync. So I said, Can you come back tomorrow night? I'll pray for your Finger tomorrow at the church when we do the service over there. And he says, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, of course. So he comes tomorrow night. He gets healed tomorrow night. Why did it take tomorrow night? I don't know. We had to ask and seek and knock a little bit more. Not really sure why that happened. Sometimes these things in God, they're just a little bit weird. But anyway, that's an example of ask, seek, knock. And one of the things I found too, it's it's kind of a funky thing, but I'm trying to give you some keys to the kingdom, is every once in a while you'll go to pray for somebody and you're not getting the breakthrough. And I have literally gone this way. God, knock, knock, knock. I'm still knocking. You haven't given me yet the breakthrough that I came for and your word says we will get as much as we need. And what we need here is 100% breakthrough, 100% healing. Praise the Lord for 90, but I'm not satisfied. Praise the Lord for 80, but I'm not satisfied. Praise the Lord for 95, but I'm not satisfied. Why? Because there is a kingdom reality that says what is the way God made it is the way it's supposed to be normal. That is what he pronounced very good. So whether it's brain damage or broken bones or cancer or anything else, anything less than that isn't that. And I think much of the time we have come to the place where in our own minds, in our own thought, we sort of get partway and we say, oh, yeah, okay, it's good enough. And so we have this kind of flaccid faith rather than this active, dynamic, bold faith that says, look, I'm at the king's table. Dad, and I hate it when people call God dad, but if you were at table with your father, you would say, dad or papa or father, however you address your, your father on earth, He'd say, You know, we got a little bit of kingdom business to talk about here. I'm in business with you, and, you know, we got a problem with the fence line out there on the back 40, and I really need some bailing wire so I can get out there and fix that fence tomorrow. Would you please have the workman deliver that out there, and then, you know, I'll take the crew out there, we'll fix that? What would he say? He'd say, Well, of course, son of, yes, I'll be happy to do that. And if you're the daughter who's tending the cows in the cow shed, you know, what are you gonna say? Well, you know, we got a problem with Bessie there. You know, her stall's getting broken down, and we need some we need some barn wood brought out there so we can fix that stall and make it so the cow's got it. Oh yes, of course I'll have the workmen bring that around. And then Bessie will have her, you know, proper cow shed. Or whatever. But Jesus says this. What father among you, if you're a father... Now, there, I know there are perverse individuals in the world, people who lead just foul and vile lives. They, they beat and punish and torture their own children. I run into people who are the victims of that kind of living everywhere I go. But Jesus is making the assumption that a, a father ought to be a good father and a good father would not be that man. So he says, What father among you, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Well, there is one exception to this. In Indonesia, they will give him the serpent because that's considered a delicacy. Fish are a dime a dozen. But the implication here is this is a poisonous snake, and he's not going to give you a poisonous snake when you ask for a fish. And just so, if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No, he won't give him a scorpion. And Just so, if he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? No, he'll give him bread, because bread is what he needs. The clear implication is what we ask for, we should expect that we will receive not something that's less than that, certainly not something that's opposed to it or evil or harmful. And how many people come to God and they say, well, I don't know if God wants to heal me. Or, you know, I I don't know if he'll give it to me. I mean, you don't know the life I've led. You're right, I don't, but I don't need to know either. Because at the end of the day, your father doesn't care about that. He's the father that's been like the the father and the prodigal son looking all the time. When are they coming in? And, And in that, there's an anticipation of the father's heart. And then he says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why does he say that to end this story? He says it because the person through whom you will bring the kingdom of God is none other than the person of the Holy Spirit. And you disciples that have asked me to teach you how to pray, what I'm telling you is if you will pray in this manner with this kind of faith, this kind of faith orientation, that expectation, that confidence if you will ask in that way you will get the Holy Spirit now people have used this as a verse for getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and I think that works too, but, but the clear context here is okay, 12 and 72 you want to know how to take it up to the next level, you want to know how to find that place of dominion, breakthrough and abiding, this is how you do it you pray with expectancy repeatedly until you breach the line. And there might be some sense of prevailing prayer here. There might be some sense of repeated prayer for a season. But the point is God is not a tease. He's not doing this where you know, you're supposed to pray for 25 years. I remember John Wimber telling a story one time of a man who came up to him and he said, will you pray for me to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And John said, well, sure, of course I'll pray for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He goes, yeah, I've been seeking this for 25 years without getting it. And John Wimber, as only John Wimber could do, it wasn't like hard, but he slaps the guy across the face. And the guy, and he's just, starts speaking in tongues. And John goes, 25 years seeking the baptism. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And he walks away. Now, it wasn't meant to be condemning, and you know, if you had the wrong understanding of all that, you might come away feeling condemned. But the whole point is, it ain't supposed to be that hard, right? And so that man got the baptism in the Spirit that night. The, the implication that Jesus is saying is, when you go to pray, I've got a place where I go pray, and when I pray, this is what I pray. I pray, Father, I need more of the kingdom. You say, could Jesus pray that? Yeah, He could. Look at this. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus said to them, I'm in verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Now, I love this next little bit. And greater works than these will he show him. He will show who? Greater works than these the Father will show the Son, so that you may marvel. Jesus lived in the expectation of greater works coming to him. Jesus lived in the expectation that his Father would release even greater anointing upon him. See, I think most of us think Jesus kind of came out of the wilderness and he was like Minerva springing from the seashell, fully formed. No, I think there was a dynamic of kingdom increase in the life of the Son. In this world, we are to be like Him. That's what the book of First John says. And so, just as greater works than what you've already seen at my hand, will the Father show the Son in order that all of those around may marvel, so also we should expect that same sort of greater works. And this is, in fact, why Jesus was praying for more of the coming of the kingdom. This is why Jesus was praying that ask, seek, knock. And that's why we have to pray ask, seek, knock. Because when we get into that place with God, we will find the place of even greater breakthrough. And I don't know where the top limit to it is. I suspect there is no top limit to it. There should come a place. I I think we we somehow grow to that because our faith grows by increments. You know, a lot of people say, well, then I'm going to pray for limbs to grow out. Well, good luck with that. If you're not even seeing head colds healed... That's a foolish prayer to pray. You don't have enough faith to support that. But when you're consistently seeing MS healed and muscular dystrophy healed and cripples walk and blind people see, well, then after a while, there isn't much left but for limbs to grow out. And so you logically get to the place where you say, Father, show me limbs to grow. Now, if the Lord's going to give you massive release and you see limbs grow, well, good on you. That's awesome. But I'm just saying in the normal ecology of faith, it doesn't happen that way. We, we see those points of breakthrough, but once we get the N equals 1, and we start seeing consistency in that one, then we see the next one, and the next, and the next, and the next. And so there's this whole realm and dynamic. Now, interestingly, today, going back to this morning's service, you know what you saw today, what you heard today, that was, that was something a bit extraordinary where a word was given and God answered with thunder at the very moment the word was given, and yet it's highly biblical. And I would suggest to you that what you saw and heard, that's a miracle. And that's our N equals 1. We should expect to see confirmatory signs now beginning to follow. This church, this fellowship, and the Australian church more broadly because of what God released in this building this morning. I think, although I didn't ask, up and down the coast of Australia this morning there were confirmatory signs. It wasn't merely that God showed up. It wasn't merely that it went off. But we're moving into that new dimension. And so we should continue to press and we should continue asking and seeking and knocking with the objective that we will move to those greater works kinds of manifestations that were promised us in John chapter 14. So I'll close the message with that. Tonight we're on a healing service so we're going to pray for the sick. And my expectation is the sick should be healed. Now I'm just got to ask although I don't see her. I came in tonight and one of the gals in the fellowship she's been in a moon boot for weeks. Broke her foot. Where'd she go? Did she leave? The gal with the long hair. She's been in the moon boot. Lisa. Did she? Is she gone? Okay. Because she's been kind (laughs) of she's been kind of hanging around all weekend, and she wanted to get prayer, and it was just like every time that we were gonna pray, something didn't work out. I was kind of looking for her this morning because I told her I'd pray this morning, but by the time I was freed from everything else. She'd left, so I didn't pray for her, but I walked in. I walked over to her tonight, and there were a couple of you that joined in. You were one of us. You know, we, we, we laid hands on her and prayed for her, and she broke into sweat over her whole body. She said, my foot feels like it's on fire. And she'd broken her foot by dropping, what would she say, a recliner or a chair or something on it? Yeah. Is she back there? No, she, she, she's bugged out. That suggests to me she probably got what she needed already and hit the road, but... We'll see. She's she hangs around this church. You guys will know soon enough. But um, I did notice that when she got up from from prayer, you know, like I said, she said her foot was burning. It was on fire. Well, that's usually a good sign. The Holy Spirit's moving. When she went over to the coffee table to get coffee, um, instead of this sort of you know hitching her get along like you see with someone like that, she appeared to me to be walking pretty normally. And. So we'll see what happened with that prayer engagement. But that, that's the expectation that we go in with every time. And you know it, it shouldn't be like, wow, that happened? A broken foot with crushed bones was healed? It should be like, of course a broken foot with crushed bones got healed. What else would there be? Because we are praying, Father, may your kingdom come. That's how we live. Okay, questions on that before we do our ministry time. Mr. MacArthur, NASA scientist. (laughs) It said it on Facebook, it must be true. Oh, okay. Well, so you mentioned two things. You said uh, a barrier in the relationship with the Father. So Jesus is level setting the question about Father when he says, when you pray, pray this way, Father, your name is holy. Your name is special. I'm in a special relationship with you. There's nobody else, nothing else in the entire universe that I relate to the way I relate to you when I come to you in this way. So he is actually trying to give them that breakthrough in that area of their relationship to the Father. And then the other one, which is kind of the obstacles that prevent us from being in that relationship, well, the number one that he puts his finger on is this dynamic of forgiveness. And it's, it's both vertical... That we experience the forgiveness we need and it's horizontal that we give away the forgiveness that others need even when they've wronged us. And with that, I would just say there is this, and I, I kind of touched on it without putting my finger right on it, but there is this matter of expectation. right? When you ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, this is not something that, that's rote and mechanical. This is something that is It's based in faith. It's based in the confidence that, you know, if I go back and bug him again, I know I can get this. And most of us have some relationship like that. It might be with our boss or our spouse or a friend, but, you know, someone says, I just can't get him to move on this. Could you speak to him for me? And you say, yeah, I've got that relationship. I can get that person to yield on this point, even though they're being priggish right now. And so, you know, we go and we ask, and we, we believe that something's going to happen in that. Jesus is saying, you don't need a third party. You can do that with the Father yourself. And so in that there, is that, there is that faith barrier that many people run up against because they don't actually understand that this is the very nature of what Jesus has given us to live in. Well, you know, unless a person's been working in, in an asbestos factory or they're living on top of a you know, tetrazine dump like in Aaron Brockovich. Um, Most cancer isn't actually caused by environmental factors. Smoking has been largely eradicated as a cause. There are some who still smoke and consequently do get lips, tongue, throat, and lung cancer, but smoking has become fairly scarce in the Western world in our day. Not so much true in other countries though. Um, the Marlborough Man is alive and well in India. So, um, what we find though is cancer often has roots in other matters of the soul. Unforgiveness being very close to the top of the list or bitterness which is related to unforgiveness but not quite the same. Um, and there can be some other matters, sometimes curses and whatnot that run down family lines. But, Cancer, more often than not, has some kind of emotional, spiritual root to it as opposed to being merely uh, a, a physical matter. Now, if it is a physical matter, we have a solution for that. It's called physical healing. There is a gift of healing that physically will, you know, drive cancer out of people's bodies. But if it's something where there's a matter of the soul that is corrupted or, you know, damaged, we also have something for that. It's called the ministry of inner healing. So, win, lose, or draw, God has an answer for the world's problems. We just have to bring the right tool to bear on the right situation. And I think sometimes people rather ham fistedly go after things because they haven't learned to hear God on the nature of the problem. We see this exact problem in John chapter 9 Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? You know, many people, and commentators in particular, who don't really understand healing ministry, they look at that and they say, well, in those days, people believed that, you know, you could be blinded because of the sin of your parents. Well, in fact, that is true. You can have diseases that come to you because of your parents' sin. But see, a a modern theologian would completely discount all that because of the rationalistic training that goes with most academic training in the Western world today. But what's more interesting to me is in that passage, the disciples have clearly been listening to Jesus. They've been ministering with him. They've been watching him. And they're already at a reasonably sophisticated state. But they're looking at this man. They're like, we're not sure if this one is. He sinned and that caused him to be blind or his parents sinned and that caused him to be blind. But we've learned that it's usually one or the other. So which one is it, Jesus? And he goes, well, actually, there's a third way. And in this case, this one happened that the glory of God would be revealed in him it's like, oh, that's really awesome that he got to be blind for 42 years so that God could be glorified. There's no explanation for that when given. And this is why in the realm of healing, it always behooves us to be careful about judging and criticizing, including judging and criticizing God. He's our Father. When you pray, pray, Father, your name is holy. I don't have the right to challenge and question you, but I do have the, I do have the obligation to praise and thank you For bringing the breakthrough that sets a man who's been bound for, sorry, I said 42, 38 years in such a way in order that he would find the freedom that he was meant always to have. And in fact, the glory of God is seen. Yeah, but what about all those? Yeah, I can't answer that one. I don't know. Ask him when you get to heaven. You see, this is the nature of the critical mind that that we so often carry. And it shuts down the, the flow of God through us. And if we learn to release that and just say God is merciful and kind, he has come to set the record straight no matter how long it's been that way. Now, it doesn't mean God struck him blind. We just don't know the reason. We just know that this happened in this way in order that God would receive glory. Plain and simple. And that's the end of the explanation we have out of the passage. Um, Well, you know, it's funny. We've seen a lot of breakthrough in mental illness the last two years. It's been really extraordinary. Um, we've kind of been running the table on schizophrenia, bipolar, um, obsessive-compulsive disorder in particular, we've had a lot of success with. Um, trying to think of some of the other mental health conditions. Psychosis, um, multiple personality disorder. Uh, you know, some of them come easier than others, but, but you know, if once you get N equals 1, N equals two through whatever comes a lot easier, and so you know in this country from coast to coast, you know we've seen just extraordinary uh, breakthroughs. I'm thinking of a, of a young man that they brought up. Uh, Scott was with me in Perth, and he was a schizophrenic Chinese guy, and he got healed. Well, we we had to interview him a bit before we prayed, but I think all up from front to back, soup to nuts, I think it was a 20 minute or 25 minute prayer engagement, and he was done. Now, the Chinese community in Perth is fairly tight-knit, so when he got healed, man, that word ran like wildfire through the Chinese community. And now when I go out to Western Australia, the Chinese come from everywhere bringing, you know, dogs, cats, goats, pigs, and chickens. I mean, if it's got mental illness, they bring them. But, you know, we've seen a lot of breakthrough in these areas. And so one of the things we've learned is that a lot of mental illness, again, is rooted in things that are... I'll call them psycho-spiritual now there is organic mental illness and there is chemical mental illness and there's mental illness caused by brain damage and those are in a different category but a considerable percentage of the mental illness that we're seeing healed um, is coming about because of things that are you know in the background for example here's a really good statistic and this is well known in the literature of the mental health community ninety percent nine zero percent of women who are in mental hospitals are victims of sexual abuse. 90% of incarcerated women in mental institutions, it is because they were raped or gang raped or sexually abused in some other way, and they just broke. They didn't have the wherewithal. Because, you know, we were not created with the natural capacity to process sin that was performed against us. That's why we need a savior. That's why sin kills us. And so, you know, and this is—I mean, like I say, this is known in the mental literature, mental health literature. Ninety percent. So, you know, when when people come and they're having—and they're women there—but by the way, it's almost the same with men. It's not quite as high. It's more like seventy percent, but it's still astonishing. You know, because men get raped. Men get mentally abused or physically and sexually abused these things happen to men too and so um you know whether they were groped or they were forced to perform some act on their uncle or the guy next door whatever you know this this also damages men and you know no one's wanting to talk about this because what we've decided to do is mainstream it all and normalize it and say it's okay well it's actually not okay and in deep down here somewhere we know it's not okay but if people are being told there's no solution to it, you just got to live with it. This is the way you are. So what do we do? We just medicate it to try to make the pain go away. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, people set free. And so when people come with these kinds of conditions, a lot of times I'll say, tell me a little bit about your background. And, you know they'll almost immediately start to open up about this kind of abuse that's happened in their life, and if we can bring inner healing to bear and drive out the demons that came in with whatever that particular thing is that happened to them, you know we can see people freed quite readily. You know another story. I think I told it here a year ago, um, but maybe not. So I'll tell it again. Um, but I was in I was in South Melbourne, the south side of the city, in a uniting church. And, you know, uniting churches are not known as being bastions of Holy Spirit outpouring in this country. And so the the pastor brought a woman to me and said, would you pray for her? And I said, well, yeah, what am I praying for? She says, well, she's got psychosis. In fact, she's been psychotic for 25 years. She's been in and out of mental institutions. She's had electroshock therapy. Three times she's been incarcerated. One time for more than 10 years. And so she says, would you, you know, would you pray for her? So you know she was kind of sitting there on the, on the chair, like kind of like Corey is with an open seat next to her, and the pastor was sitting where Lorraine was, or is, and, and so I sat down in the open seat, and I just lightly put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, Jesus, what's going on here? And I, that's exactly the prayer I prayed, verbatim, that's the prayer I prayed, and I prayed it aloud. Jesus, what's going on here? And as I did, it just came to me very clearly in my mind, it just formed right here, ask her about her mother's abortion thinking, well, that's a pretty bizarre question to ask. And I actually looked up to heaven, and I said under my breath, I don't want to ask that question. And it came to me again, ask her about her mother's abortion. I'm like, Lord, that's weird. That's awkward. I don't want to ask that. And then silence. <laughs> Ma'am, excuse me. This is a strange question. Do you mind if I ask you... It's kind of a strange personal question, but did your mother ever have an abortion? How did you know that? That's one of our most closely guarded family secrets. Whoa. Yes, my older sister was aborted. I'm actually the second child in the family. There's only four people in our family who know this. My mother, me, my sister, and my daughter, the granddaughter of the woman who had the abortion. Really? Really? Yeah, no one else in our family knows that. How did you know that? Well, I felt like the Lord was telling me to ask you about it. And then it just came to me. I said, that's it then. The blood of your sister is crying out from the ground. I said, in the name of Jesus, with the power of the keys, I forgive you and your family both for the murder of your sister and the cover-up of that murder. Psychosis, come out of her and she began foaming at the mouth, literally foaming at the mouth. She kind of pitched forward out of the chair, fell on the ground in kind of a half-fetal position, and this long kind of... I don't know where that spirit went. I mean, it was probably stuck up in the rafter somewhere. But it was a long... I mean, it, you, you couldn't go that long without breathing. It, it, it seemed like it was you know, 90 seconds of that But when it was over, she just was lying there on the ground crying. Just crying and crying and crying as the mercy of God washed over her, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. What did I say? It's that experience of forgiveness. This woman had been in the church for years. Now, she knew she was forgiven for covering up that, that transgression. She knew it up here, but she hadn't experienced it there. And now she's experiencing it. So she's sobbing and weeping, and I guess maybe 15 minutes went by. She gets up, and she looks at me, and her eyes are clear. They looked different to me. But I never pronounce anything on people because I just feel like people do that, and it, it's... Somehow it always seems a little bit gratuitous, so I don't do that. And she looks at me and she goes, it's gone. I said, what's gone? That thing that's been in my mind all these years, it's gone. And so she went back to her doctor. She had three psychiatrists that were attending physicians, three of them. And together they had more than 90 years of collective experience in the mental health profession. She was on everything, Xanax and Prozac and, you know, all this stuff, psychotropic drugs. Three days later, they, they jointly agreed, we can take this woman off of her drugs. They, and they, they said, we've never seen anybody in all of our collective years of mental health practice healed of psychosis. And so they took her off of her medication. And then about 10 days later, I was messaging back and forth with the pastor, you know, just how's she doing, what's going on. Ten days later, her husband comes barging into the church office unannounced, kind of walks in the door, and he says, what did that American preacher do to my wife? He said, I've, I've been married to her for 25 years, and I've never seen her like this. And there was something in the way he said it. The pastor said to me, you know, it's been 25 years she's been like this. I, I think he's had some extracurricular activities going on because of the way she's been. So on the one hand, good news had come to that house. On the other hand, it was as though the sword of judgment had dropped as well because now this man's being called to account for all that he'd been doing extracurricularly while his wife had been in this state. And she's still healed. It's been a couple of years now. In fact, it was November two years ago this happened. So she's still healed. I mean, I talk to that pastor several times a year. Um, I've been back to the church. This was a healing that stuck, so that's another example of mental illness. And in this case, it was rooted in, you know, psycho-spiritual matters. So this is how it works. All right, so enough talking. I think it's time to do it, yeah? So, again, I'm here to train and to teach. I will pray for people, but if you have a need that you want healing for, we have teams in this church that are trained healing teams. So what we'll do is we'll have you come up, we'll get the teams on you, and I'll kind of walk down the line. I'll kibitz and coach. I'll insert myself into the prayer process. as necessary.